In our series, Four Christmases, last week, we learned about the first Christmas from Mary's perspective. And if you were given the opportunity to meet any person in the first Christmas story, who would you choose? I've been thinking about it this week, and it's really not that easy to decide. There are so many fascinating people in this story. Think about Herod. Herod, I see him as that wicked old toad who he's, he's sitting on his throne of Israel. He's insanely jealous lest a baby steal his glory. When I think of Herod, I think of Jabba the Hutt. That's, that's what I picture, you know? Um, or maybe there's the Magi, the wise men from the east, Who were they? Where did they come from? Were they astrologers? How did they know about the star? Or maybe the innkeeper. I can see him in my mind's eye. Here's this good man. He's he's overworked. He's harried. He's frustrated. He doesn't want to turn away business. And so that's why he says, hey, here's this place where my animals stay. Or maybe it's the shepherds. Here's something you probably didn't know about the shepherds. Nearly all the shepherds are teenagers, and many of them were girls. There you go. There's a reason, uh, every reason to think that, that they were not the old men that we traditionally think of. Whenever you see the picture of the shepherds, aren't they always old men? No, that's probably not the truth. There's so many others. There's, there's Anna, the prophetess. There's Simeon, who took baby Jesus in his arms and blessed his parents. And then there's Mary. We talked about Mary last week. And Luke wrote his story about her. Today, we're going to actually look in Matthew. Who would you pick? Who would you pick? Go ahead and shout it out. Crowd participation. Who would you pick? Zacharias, okay. Who, who would you pick? Mary. Mary, okay. Anybody else? Who would you pick? Shepherd. Wow, I sort of had hoped for more crowd participation. We're going to have to, we're going to have to practice this more often, I think. Um, well, tell you what, it doesn't matter who you'd want to pick because I'm the one sharing the message, and I picked Joseph. So. <laughs> I have selected Joseph because I believe Joseph is the forgotten man of Christmas. And Matthew wrote his story about him. And so uh, he's the husband of Mary, and he's the foster father of Jesus. He's the person from the first Christmas story I would like to meet. And I'll tell you why. You know, when I, when I call Joseph the forgotten man of Christmas, it's not an exaggeration. Not much is said about Joseph in the Bible. Not many sermons are preached about him. Anybody remember the last time somebody preached a sermon about Joseph? I I remember because I preached a sermon about Joseph at a men's camp a couple years ago. That's the only reason I remember about it. In fact, there's just not much written about Joseph at all anywhere. If you look at the traditional Christmas hymns, here's what you'll see. Mary is mentioned seven times. Joseph is never mentioned, not even once, in the Christmas hymns. So let me list some things for you that we know about Joseph. His father's name was Jacob. 
His hometown was in Bethlehem, but he lived in Nazareth in Galilee. And that meant that Joseph and Mary would have to travel 95 miles in the dead of winter in order to register for the census. 95 miles. You know, I think of 95 miles today, and I'm kind of like, no big deal. I mean, we hop in the car and we go 95 miles for nothing, right? Well, big deal then, you know, think about 95 miles and you're pregnant riding a donkey across a desolate land without a Casey's in sight. I mean, it's 95 miles, right? So, um, Joseph is from the royal line of David, And we see that in the genealogy. We won't look at that today, but if you read it from the beginning of Matthew, we see that. He was a carpenter by trade. He was a poor man. And we know that because when he and Mary presented Jesus in the temple, he brought a turtle dove to sacrifice. Joseph was a religious man. He was a devout keeper of the law, a fact that we'll observe more closely in just a moment as we go forward. How old was Joseph? We don't really know for sure, but we suspect he was about 17-ish. So, uh, an older teenager. And Matthew tells Joseph's story this way. So follow along with me, if you will. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 18, it'll be on the screen behind you, or you can look in your uh, source of literature that you have in your hands. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, a virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when Joseph woke up, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Back in that very first verse, 18, it says, This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of of the Holy Spirit. You know, our version that we're reading today uses the word engaged to be married. Some versions use betrothed. It refers to ancient Jewish marriage custom. And and in those days, most marriages were actually arranged by the parents. I don't know about you, but I ain't wanting my parents to arrange my marriage, right? But uh, with or without the children's approval. Two sets of parents would meet, they'd draw up a formal marriage contract, and once the contract was signed, the men and the woman were legally engaged to each other. And this, this period of engagement would last about a year, and at the end of the period, then they were formally married in a wedding ceremony. 
Now, that sounds a lot like our practice of engagement, but there's some major differences. In the first place, in that time, engagement was considered to be as sacred as marriage. And during the year, the, the couple were actually called husband and wife, but they did not live together. If the man died during the year, the woman would be considered a widow even though a wedding ceremony had never taken place. So being engaged is a big deal in this story. And the only way to break that engagement is through a legal divorce. So in essence, to be engaged was the same thing really as being married, except you couldn't live together. You couldn't consummate the marriage until after the wedding ceremony took place. And the whole idea behind the one-year waiting period was just to see if you would be committed and be faithful to each other. This is where the story gets interesting, I think. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 22, in verse 20 and 21, it says, if a woman was found to be pregnant during the betrothal, that could only mean she had been unfaithful to her husband. In which case, the law commanded that she would be stoned to death. Yeah, oh wow, <laughs> right? Joseph only knows one thing for sure. He's not the father, right? What words describe a man at a time like this? <laughs> Anger, confusion, frustration, embarrassment, maybe shame, rage, disappointment. What did he say to her? What did, what did she say to him? Did she tell him about the angel Gabriel? If she did, could you blame him for not believing her? And if we look in Luke's version, we see that she actually tells him the story. Matthew doesn't. Did, did he say to her, Mary, how could you? You're pledged to me. We were going to get married. I was going to build a little house for us in Nazareth. Mary, how could you do this? I kept myself for you. Why couldn't you keep yourself for me? I, I can just imagine the thoughts or maybe even the conversations that we don't see recorded. And I suspect that Joseph possibly cried harder that day than he'd ever cried in his life because of this situation. Put yourself in his shoes. You're a teenager in love, and suddenly your girlfriend turns up pregnant. You're not the father, but you don't know who is. What do you do? You see, Joseph was a Jew, and under the law, he knew he had the right to divorce Mary for unfaithfulness. In fact, the law forbade him to marry her under those circumstances. The law said that they couldn't be married because she was expecting. So here's the greatness of Joseph. This is why I want to meet Joseph. Because he loved her even though he thought she had been unfaithful to him. And his love covered her shame. Think about that. What a foreshadowing of Father's love for us. He sent Jesus to cover our sin and shame. Even though we were unfaithful to him. Back in our passage in verse 19, it says, Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. He didn't want to break 
I'm sorry, he was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. There's, there's two ways they could get a divorce in those days. First, he could get a public divorce, which would mean going before a judge at the gate of the city, which would mean the whole town would know Mary's shame. It would also be likely that Mary would be stoned to death. It doesn't seem like a great choice. Joseph loves her. Second, he could get a private divorce by giving her the papers in the presence of two witnesses. And it's entirely to Joseph's credit that that was the way originally he chose he was going to do it privately. He was going to spare Mary both public execution and the humiliation of public divorce. And he actually made this decision, but then he didn't keep that decision. Why? Because it says in verse 20... As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You know, to us, this this seems strange, but not to Joseph. You see, God often spoke to people through dreams in the Bible. When we see before Jesus came, often that was how prophecy took place. It was through a dream. And you know what? He still does today. Sometimes we'll hear a prophetic word, and we've even had a couple times here in the time that I've been here where there's been a prophetic word, and it was, it was very visual. It was like an explanation of something, and you're like, what does that mean? And for some of us, we're sitting there going, I don't get that, and I don't understand what that means. But somebody who was here went, whoa. How did God read my mail? It's the truth. And, and, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, it's got to, we've got to understand it. Everybody's got to understand it in the room. And, and you know what? There are passages in the Old Testament where prophetic, uh, where the prophets share something. And you go, what in the world does that mean? Right? And you ever read the book of Revelation, you guys? I'm serious. Some of that stuff you go, okay, God. You know, when I'm in heaven, I'm going to ask you about that because I don't get that. Sometimes, you know, we might not get the interpretation individually, but individuals who are in the room might get it. So anyway, (laughs) that was for free. That wasn't even part of the message. That part was for free. But here's the thing. God still, I, I think, and I believe sometimes God still speaks through dreams today. I've had it happen personally, although I can only think of one time. And it was so vivid. It was so clear. And he spoke so clearly to me through that dream. Some other time I'll share it with you. But sometimes it's too much pizza before bed. So we need to be careful and say, okay, God, how does this align with God's word? Does it align with what's going on in our life today? Does it go with what's going on in the community? So all of those things. Again, free, no extra charge for that. The Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet in Joseph's time. And so, so this was the way God used to communicate with his people through this dream. So it wasn't a big deal to Joseph. And it worked, right? We, we go on and read the story. And Joseph needed assurance. And, and he couldn't marry Mary until he was sure it was all right. He had to know the truth. And what's so cool to me is God met him at that moment and gave him a dream and said, this is Okay. In verse 21, 
It says, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel explains this and really nothing more. He explains that the baby is from the Holy Spirit and not of man, and nothing more is said. And after 2,000 years of debate, we still really know nothing more about it than Joseph did and then Mary did, except that the baby Jesus was of the Holy Spirit. The angel added a detail, and he says his name is Jesus, which means Savior. And his mission is to save his people from their sins. That's all. It's not a long message, but it's enough for Joseph to go, okay, I can marry Mary. In verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. He had no union with her until she'd given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Every step he takes testifies to his greatness. First of all, by, by marrying her quickly... He broke all the Jewish customs, but he protected Mary's reputation. She was pregnant, and he wasn't the father, but he married her anyway. By keeping her a virgin until Jesus was born, he protected the miracle of Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit against slander from unbelievers. You know, sometimes I read that and I go, why did they even, you know, why did the Holy Spirit have to put it in there? <laughs> Holy Spirit had to put it in there so that the name of Jesus could be protected. He named the baby and, and exercised his father's prerogative. You know, Joseph could have, could have said, I don't, I don't like the ring of Jesus. I, I want to call him something else. Sorry. I wanted to make sure I didn't use anybody's name in the room. Sorry. <laughs> And that takes a while when there's a hundred of you here. I had to go through everybody's name. Um, so, but he names him Jesus. He takes him as his own legal son. And, and the only other comment I could make is that the story is told exactly as a man would tell it, right? There are some details left out that, uh, that Luke put in there. He did a little better job of telling this story. At least that's what the ladies would say for sure. Um, but I like Joseph, I wish I could meet him. He strikes me as a very good man. And, and in these days of confusion, Joseph is a wonderful model of what a godly man looks like. You see, this is why I feel a little bit sad that uh, Joseph is not often talked about. Because he's a great example of a godly man. As great an example as you can get without being Jesus. Because Joseph was tough when he could have been weak. You know, the choice he made was not an easy choice. It was not an easy choice. Joseph was tender when he could have been harsh. 
You know, that's a thing that, that God has worked on me almost my entire life. And I think about our children, our five children. My oldest son, Kenan, had a different experience than my youngest daughter, Keziah. Because over time, God made me more tender, gave me more grace with my kids. I remember one time my wife Pamela said to me, you know, I wish you had the kind of grace with our kids you do with people. And wow. Sometimes I'm pretty sure she's the voice of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Men, listen to your wives. They hear stuff you don't hear, just so you know. Joseph was thoughtful when he could have been hasty. Joseph was trusting when he could have doubted. He was temperate when he could have indulged himself. I don't know about you, you guys, but when I get married, and I am, I won't be with my wife. Joseph was temperate. And he said, I'm not going to be with you in that way until after the baby is born. That is temperate. That is self-control. Men, could we use these same words to describe our life? Are you tough-minded? Are you determined to do what is right no matter what it costs? Are you tender with your wife and your children? Are you thoughtful? Do you, do you take your time to make important decisions? Or are you quick to jump to conclusions and then quick to say things that you later regret? You see, you, remember in the story, Joseph had already made up his mind. And then the angel spoke to him. And Joseph didn't have to respond the way he did. Guys, how much time do we take? I'm speaking to you men. How much time do we take to make sure that we're hearing clearly from God before we make decisions that affect the lives of our wives and our children and our children's children? Are you trusting even though you think you could figure out a better way to do things? (laughs) Only men do that. (laughs) Right? God says, this is the way to do it. And we go, hmm, I feel like if we did it like this, God, it would be so much better. (laughs) At least one of you men agreed with me. But you know we do it. Right? Are you temperate? Are you considerate of your wife and her needs? Or do you pressure your wife and your children to perform up to your standard of perfection? There's one underlying of proof about the kind of man that Joseph was. When Jesus grew up and he began his ministry, he chose one word above all others to describe what God is like. He called him father. Joseph modeled for Jesus what the father should look like. 
I'm not going to lie, that's a little hard for me because I didn't get that model in my life. And men, if that's the way it was for you, first of all, remember that your dad, he operates from the tools that were given him. I know that my dad did not have a godly father modeled to him. So how could he possibly know how to model that to me? But after coming to know Jesus, I recognized that I had the opportunity to break that chain, to break that cycle in the lives of my kids. And now today, years later, <laughs> when they're adults, every once in a while, one of them will call and they'll say, you know, Dad, you weren't so bad. <laughs> or, man, I'm glad that you were my father. When they were at home, they didn't always say that. I just want you to know. So <laughs> I got better, as I said, through time. It's, it's been improving. Pamela will testify, I'm sure. She will also testify there's still good to come. But um, back to verse 23, and we'll conclude. It says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. He'll give, she will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The very next verse says, he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Did you watch a short? From high above us, God sees. From far beyond us, God hears. From his eternal distant home, God loves. He sees all people in all places. And it's easy for us to imagine that he does so from this perspective. High, beyond, distant. But then... Christmas. It appears without earthly fanfare or celebration. The cry of this child screams that the same God who is above and beyond and distant has not only come close to us, but that he's indeed with us. So what if the name Emmanuel means what it means? Today, now, with us. The manger proclaims that the very presence of God is now present with us. In the mundane, in the uncertainty, in the mystery that lies beyond our understanding or explanation. God himself is with us in our joy and our happiness. He's with us in our sadness and our brokenness. He celebrates in the light with us and he holds us in the dark with faithful and secure arms. What if the name Emmanuel means what it means? Christmas not only begs that we ask that question, 
but also provides the answer that our hearts have been longing for all along. Can this possibly be? Yes, it can. And it is God with us. Emmanuel. And he's closer than our wildest dreams can ever imagine. Oh, come, oh, come, What if Emmanuel means what it means? It does. God is with us. And you know, even when we don't feel like God is with us, God is with us. And sometimes we think, God, why didn't you protect us from that thing, whatever it is? And then the Holy Spirit says to us, if I hadn't been there, it would be even worse. God is with us. Jesus means Savior. Emmanuel means God with us. We need both. We need a Savior, and we need God with us because we're sinners. And the only way God could save us was to leave heaven and to live amongst us. That's what Christmas is about. Let's stand together and we'll close this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor Bob, I, I don't know that God is with me, but I want to know. And I just want to give you that opportunity this morning because if I didn't, I would be denying you eternal life. If you have that question this morning, it's so easy to take care of this. So I'm just going to ask everybody with their eyes closed and their heads bowed, nobody looking around, I just want to give you a moment. And while I talk right now, if you would like to know that God is with you, you would like to know that you know that your sins are forgiven, that you'll spend an eternity with God, I'm just going to encourage you to look up at me quickly. And I'm just going to scan the room. Okay, I see you. See you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us from our sin. Again, I'm just going to ask everybody to play out, to pray out loud with me. It's, it's good to get this practice because you're going to get this opportunity to lead someone to the Lord, maybe even this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus, I recognize that I have blown it, but you can fix it. Jesus, I give my sin to you, and I thank you that you forget them and you forgive them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.